It's great to see you guys. We're so thankful you've chosen to be here this morning. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and it is September the 13th, and it is fall. Well, almost. But anybody with me that excited about fall? I had this week pumpkin spice latte, which is more expensive than ever before, and yet it's like the price of a cheeseburger at McDonald's. That's how I compare it, at least. And... I still buy it. It was delicious, and I just kind of wanted to bathe in it. It was so good. I was so excited that they were out. And then college football was on yesterday. Some of us are really excited. Go dogs. Some of us are really disappointed. I won't say anything else. And, um, but nevertheless, it's really fun. And then you've got the county fair is in town. Anybody been to the Delta Fair? Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, one person. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Was it fun? Elephant ears and, and funny guys um, setting up rides that come out of semi-trucks that make me very nervous to ride. And anyway, and also the cool weather this weekend. Praise the Lord. I was just so happy walking out yesterday. Uh, Michelle was so funny last night. She got home from work and she goes, I was so excited that I left the hospital and I was wearing my fleece as always. And I actually needed it. And I was like... Yeah, that's great, babe. She always has on her fleece. It's just her, like, it's great. But um, you know what, what else is awesome? Is we're starting our fall series today. I know that most of you, the most exciting thing about fall in your life is that we start our fall series at ICC. Am I right? Just go ahead and nod your head and act like you, that, yeah, exactly is what I was thinking. But um, anyway, today we are starting our fall series, uh, going through the book of Ephesians. If you're new, relatively new to our church, typically what we do uh, in our church, we are a church that loves Jesus and we believe that the Bible is God's word for us. And so we just go through books of the Bible together. And this fall, from now all the way until December something, something, I can't remember, but it's 12 weeks from now, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians. Six chapters, uh, we'll be basically taking Two sermons, uh, two weeks per chapter, and I am uber de duber excited about it. So if you haven't caught on already, some of, you, some of the people who are new this morning are like, is that the pastor? Is he always talk that weird? Yes, it is. And yes, I do. Sorry about that. Um, I do want to reemphasize the guides. Um, we do not make any money on this. In fact, we subsidize the cost that you can, can get it for cheaper than what we actually have to pay for it. These are really, really handy um, if you can, go ahead and purchase a guide. They're for only five bucks, and they will really help you to keep all of uh, the book of Ephesians in a single place, places where you can write notes from sermon, places where you can reflect on questions from the sermon each week, places where you can engage in small group discussion. It's got reading plan if you're wanting to go deeper in God's word. We encourage everybody to be memorizing scripture. There's a verse, actually two verses a week that you could memorize, but one that we ask that you try to memorize every week so that we can hide God's word in our heart. Um, it is a really, really handy resource. Plus, um, in, in the cover page, you get a personal letter from me. Um, oh, that's awesome, right? And I actually talk about Caroline. Now, some of y'all just got enticed a little bit, didn't you? Um, some of the girls learned. But yeah, um, that's not the best part by any means. But this, we want this to be a resource for you in this series, but also that you can keep this um, We've been doing this in the last year, and it's been really, really great that you can use this as a future reference and tool. I do want to just remind you that if you buy the book this week, you are going to get a digital download of that, which is really cool. You get a code to download it, so you can, a lot of people use their iPads and phones and stuff for daily reading and work and stuff. You can do that. Um, also, funny enough, um, the, the people we use to print the books are awesome. We use them to print all of our stuff at ICC, but they actually made a small little mistake this past week. 
in that they printed an unedited version of the book. It wasn't the final edit. So what we've got to do next week, okay, don't worry, but next week when you come, if you buy the book today, we hope you did, we're going to just swap your book out. We will let you keep the pages you wrote in today, and then we're going to swap your book out so you can have a nice final edit. It's not huge stuff, but it's big enough that we want you to have the, the right book, and we want our printer to make that right. So hopefully that's uh, not too bad for you. And then we get to have a bonfire with all of the ones that you turned back in. And that's actually, we're going to call that our fall fest. It's going to be great. We're just going to burn the books that were wrong. Um, small groups are really important too. I do encourage you. Um, transformation happens in community. Transformation happens in community. We don't want to just be knowers in our head of God's word. We want to live in God's word with our heart and with our life. And that really happens as we uh, live together in community. So if you're not in a small group, I just encourage you, go check one out. I was, I was super nervous the first time I ever went to a small group. In fact, I sat in the parking lot. I drove around several times, and I parked over in the distance to see who else was going in to see if it was something I actually wanted to walk into. I was super nervous, and I know that a lot of people are like that. But if you just show up, they're normal people. They're just like me. Well, they're not. I'm not normal. They're normal people, not like me. And um, anyway, it's just a great way to, to live life with other Christians and to, to go into God's word deeper um, and in prayer. Today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible in your hand or on your phone or accessible via the web, um, you can pull it up. If not, it's going to be on the screens. But today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses one through 14. And the title of today's message, if you've got your guides, we're going to be in page four. That's where the sermon notes section is, page four of the guides. And we're going to be in a message um, and focus this week, both in uh, this sermon and in our small groups, titled Designed in Christ. Pages four through nine, you'll see the this week's content in your guides. And again, Ephesians chapter one, it's in the New Testament. If you're looking for it in your Bible, You can flip back to the New Testament. It's a small little book sandwiched between other small little books. Um, But basically, you will find it right after you get through Corinthians. There's Galatians and then Ephesians. And that's where we're going to be today. Let me pray as we open God's word together. God, we do thank you for this wonderful day of worship. Lord, thank you for every person that's here today, Lord. I believe every person's here because you brought them here and because they want to be here, Lord. And I pray that today would not just be our religious activity, something that we just do in order to feel better about ourselves or to check off some kind of list that we think you require. But Lord, I pray that today would be a day that we really meet with you, Lord, in a personal and authentic way in our heart, Lord, that you would meet us by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us by your true word, and that you would just lavish upon us your grace upon grace, Lord, that we would know the joy of a relationship with you and what you want to do for us and give to us and help us to live in in your son, Jesus, Lord. We thank you for your love in Jesus. We thank you that it is enough. And Lord, I pray for every person here, Lord, that today they would know that you love them and that, Lord, you want them. And Lord, today that a relationship is possible because of your work in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 1. We're just going to go ahead and get in it because I don't got much time. Um, And y'all know me. I love the Word of God. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul. I'm going to give you some introduction, but do it here through the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, here in Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, uh, like he does in a lot of letters, is giving us some intro. And I've got a slide you'll put up. You can write some stuff down as I kind of talk you through basically what's going on here in the first two verses and also the historical context for this book. The, the book is written by a guy named Paul. Now, if you don't know anything about Paul, some of you do, he was formerly known as Saul. He was actually a, a Jewish guy. He, had born, he was born as a, a, a bloodline Jew. And he was raised to be a passionate, very zealous Jew, a protector of all things Jewish. And actually, he was very opposed in the early stages of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, even, the early sta- even after Jesus, Jesus died in the early stages of the formation of the Christian church, Saul was completely opposed to Christianity. He was going against Jesus. He thought it was crazy. He thought it was an affront to the Jewish faith and religion. And he actually sought to kill Christians. We know that from the book of Acts. But something amazing happens in Acts chapter 9. If you're writing a note, you can go back and look at that later if you're more interested. But something happens where Jesus actually meets Paul. Much like Jesus meets us in a personal way, Jesus comes to Saul. And he has an interaction with him and helps him know that He really is the way, the truth, and the life. He really is the Savior appointed by God for all who would believe. He helped him to know that going against Jesus, trying to resist his authority or go against him and subvert his his ways and go against his people is just futile. It's stupid. And that ultimately our life is for God and what God is doing is, is working all things in his son Jesus. And so amazingly, this guy who was an opponent of God comes to know Christ. He meets God, falls on his face before Jesus, and he gives his life over to Christ. And he is radically transformed. From Saul, he becomes Paul. And actually, he becomes one of the greatest apostles, those who we refer to as apostles. It just means people who are sent out with a commission. He becomes one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament, writing a large chunk of our New Testament scriptures. He is a passionate He is passionate for the Lord Jesus. Paul loves Jesus. Over and over, it says things like, I would have nothing if it were not for what Jesus has done for me. If it were not for the grace and mercy of God. If it were not for God's salvation in Jesus. If it were not for God coming to me and changing me and saving me, I would have absolutely nothing. And he becomes so passionate for Jesus. And he becomes a soul winner. He becomes a missionary and a church planter. In fact, he plants churches all over Uh, what is modern-day Europe, and then Asia. In fact, he is responsible for planting the church, for winning people to Jesus, and then starting a group, uh, bringing those people together in a group, and that's called a church, like we are, in Ephesus. And that's really why he's writing this letter. Um, Ephesus, if you don't know, is in modern-day, like, West Turkey, okay? It was a big city of the day, a big trade city. Uh, They were known for having a big temple, worshiping the goddess of Deanna there. And Paul actually went to Ephesus two different times. If you know anything about Paul, we would talk about his work uh, among all of that region of the world as missionary journeys. And he actually had three journeys. He actually went through Ephesus on his second missionary journey. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 18. The reference is there on the screen, verses 19 to 21. But he didn't stay in Ephesus on that journey. But he did say if there would be opportunity to come back, he would come back. 
And there in Acts chapter 19, what we see is that indeed Paul did end up back in Ephesus, in what is really Asia. And he worked there. And what's so interesting about Paul's time in Ephesus is that he didn't just work there for a short time. A lot of places that he went, he was there for just maybe a matter of hours or a matter of days or just a short time enough to win people to Christ and to help start a church and then he would move on. But in Ephesus, what we read about in Acts chapter 19 is that he was there for two years. Two years. And he pastored the church of Ephesus, much like I pastor our church here. And his relationship with them was deep. It was personal. It was it was tested by time. He walked with them through highs and lows and he knew them all by name. He loved the people of Ephesus. And you can see in Acts chapter 20, which I do encourage you guys, I'm throwing out a lot of references, but this is for your time on God's word this week. Acts 20, what you can find is that when he leaves Ephesus, oh man, there are a lot of tears. I don't know if y'all have ever had to leave good friends, people that you love, move from places in life. Y'all ever had to do that? Transition. And it sometimes is just hard. And um, you see in Acts chapter 20 that there is a deep, deep, heartfelt love and connection with the people of Ephesus and that place uh, that God had led him to. So that's, that's really what we're getting into. It's Paul, this guy radically converted to Christ, who's a missionary, who started this church in Ephesus, who he loves very much and spent two years of his life with. Now, when he writes the letter, it's about 62 A.D., what you need to know about that, some of you are like, well, okay, thanks, um, whatever, I could have found that on Wikipedia. Well, okay, here's why I'm telling you that. He writes the letter 10 years after he leaves Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20, our best guess, about 10 years later. And by this point, Paul is actually in Rome. He's in Rome not because he was actually planting churches there in Rome. He was in Rome because he was taken to Rome as a prisoner. He was in prison there for his faith and for his work in starting churches. And the Roman Empire at that time very much thought that Christianity as a threat and he was imprisoned for his faith like many people around the world today in countries that are still very dictatorial or closed countries to the gospel. There are Christians today sitting in prison cells for nothing other than the fact that they love Jesus just like you do and that they want to live for Jesus just like we do. And Paul uh, was there in prison. So 10 years later, 62 AD, And he actually writes several letters, okay? His friend Tychicus is there in Rome, probably with Onesimus, which is referenced in Philemon. And he actually is writing in his prison time letters, inspiration of God back to these churches. And he sends back with Tychicus the letter to Ephesus, the letter to Colossae, which is known as Colossians, and also the letter to Philemon. And he probably is sending Onesimus back with these letters as well. If you haven't read Philemon, you should do that too because it's a really cool story. But here they go uh, from Paul's cell back to the church of Ephesus. And what we know is these letters are circulated all over that entire region. And even today, we know that these are the words of God for his church. Isn't that cool? So that's a little bit about how we get the the book of Ephesians. Um, If we continue on, now verses 3 through 14. We're going to get into the meat of our theme uh, this week and God's word here. If you have ever read Paul, you know that reading his sentences, it's like, oh my goodness, does that sentence ever stop? 
if you read it in Greek, which I don't pretend to be a Greek scholar, but I did study it, and I do reference it often when I'm preparing to preach because I want to make sure I'm being faithful handling God's word. If you read it in Greek, if you look at your Bible, verses 3 to 14 are actually one sentence. Yes, I said that right. It is actually one long sentence. And, but in the Greek culture, they can do that. Just keep words upon words upon words. Some of you guys talk just like this. You just, just words upon words, and everybody's sitting around thinking, is she going to keep going, or is she about to finish? Where was the, where was the, the punctuation mark there? Um, we don't really know, but anyway. In our uh, English language, it's actually just five sentences. That whole chunk, okay? I actually counted them. You can do it, too. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I actually don't, but uh, anyway, 3 to 14 is actually five uh, sentences. And it's really, I want you to think about this passage um, as kind of like an overture. Have y'all ever been to the Orpheum to see like a Broadway play? And a lot of times these like these these plays, they start, they have a live orchestra, and all of a sudden the music comes up, you know? Before anything happens on the stage, it just starts playing music. And they start playing music that is like bits and pieces of every song in the whole play. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? It, and it's like this big fanfare, and it gives you a taste of what's to come. It gives you an idea of... Ooh, everybody gets excited. You start singing songs that you know a little bit, and you're like, ooh, I can't wait till they sing that one. And at least that's what Michelle and I do. Um, but we get really excited. And, it, and it's this foretaste of, of what's to come. In an opera, the overture at the beginning of the opera is very much the same way. Or, if you're like me, born on the 4th of July, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy, a real live nephew of my Uncle Sam, <laughs> born on the 4th of July. Um, my mom and dad are here this morning, and they're just, they love, they're loving it. But she just said, yep. Um, if you want the birth story, you can talk to her after church. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. The fireworks show on the 4th of July is like my favorite because I used to grow up thinking that it was for me. My parents actually told me that. Um, but, you know, the beginning of the fireworks show is always this really big boom, 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 and it just gets all crazy. And then all of a sudden it slows down and you're like, what happened? And then at the very end it gets real crazy again. Well, at the beginning they're trying to get you really excited about the great show that's about to come, or so they they say. And at the end they're winding that up. It's the same kind of way. If you can imagine the verses 3 to 14 here, it's like the beginning of the fireworks show where he's just bursting, 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 bursting. It's just, he's giving you a taste of the sounds of the music are overflowing and he's giving you a taste of what this whole letter is about to unfold. He's just bursting with excitement. And so I want you to get that kind of in your heart and your head. And here we really do have a central theme. It's, it's a central theme that will carry us through the whole, the whole book. So look at verse 3 in your scripture. Um, so right after he gives grace and peace, which is his heart and intention for the people and God's heart and intention for you, he says here in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's just a fanfare. Blessed be God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for boom, he has blessed us with boom, every spiritual boom, blessing, boom, in the heavenly places. You're welcome. But seriously, this is his heart. It's, it's just a, it's a glorious opening. 
And it's all praise goes to God. This letter is about God. Oh, how great is our God. How wonderful is our God. Oh, won't you look and see, taste and see. The Lord is good. Oh, he is wonderful. He's the best. There's no one better. Look at what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, praise be to God. The phrase I want to call your attention to here, and it's a phrase that's going to be repeated 27 times in this whole book, is the phrase, in Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, in this first section alone, is used five times. Like I said, 27 times in the book. And he wants us to understand. This is such a critical uh, phrase because he really, 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 really wants us to understand our position in Christ. What God has done for us in Christ. How God wants to bless us in Christ. How God has provided all that we need in Christ. Look at Jesus. And realize that in Jesus, everything is available to you in God. Praise God for what he has done, how he's designed. You get it? That's our theme. That's our series. I just used that word because it's our series title. How he has designed all things in Christ. And indeed, the series we did call Design for a Purpose. Because I really do believe that it reflects the theme, the heart of this book. There are, there, God has designed all things. He wants us to understand how things are made. He wants you to understand yourself. How he made you to operate. And he wants you to understand him. Who he is. And how you can know him. And what it's like to live in relationship with him. There is a design to this life, to this world. He's designed all things, and that design does have implication in our everyday life. But here he's helping us to know God has a design to give you every spiritual blessing. But that design looks like it's all in Christ. Everything contained in Christ. Michelle and I love all-inclusive resorts. Anybody ever been to an all-inclusive resort? Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if you haven't been, and I'm also not, we, by, by grace, we have had the opportunity to partake in all-inclusive things sometimes, sometimes. It's not like we do this every weekend, folks. In special occasions, we've had the opportunity to cruise or all-inclusive resort or whatever. It's just the best. If you've ever been to all-inclusive resort, I'm telling you, it's the best kind of vacation, according to Barry. Because you get there, and you check in, and then you lock your wallet and your keys and your cell phone in a safe in your room, and you never touch them again, and everything you do from that point forward is already paid for. <laughs> you want to go eat, you go eat. They don't ask you for money. If you want a steak and a lobster, well, you just go ahead and order both of them, and they don't say, are you sure? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I wouldn't have told you that. Everything from that point forward, the activities and the, well, the spa, I guess you have to pay for a little bit extra. That's why we don't do that. But everything else is paid for. It's pretty much the best. Once we go, get in, we never leave. You know, this past July, we did one, and we got there for five days, and we, 
We stayed for five days, and we never even left. Everything we had was right there. Everything we could possibly need was provided for us right there. It was already paid in advance. Everything was just there, ready for us to receive and to enjoy. Same kind of pictures going on here. God is saying to us, in Christ, I have provided for you an all-inclusive resort of spiritual blessings. All that you need, I am ready and able and willing to give in Christ. He has paid it in advance for you. Come on, folks. Come on and enjoy it. And Paul says, praise the Lord. I would never have an all-inclusive resort of spiritual blessings if it were not for God and his work in Christ. So praise be to God, blessed be to God for what he has done for me in Christ. Amen? It's awesome. So the core truth that I want you to write down for this passage is this. God has designed us, and it comes right here out of verse 3. God designed us that he might be and provide all that you need in Christ now and for all eternity if you want to really understand this opening section and really the theme of the whole book this is not just words God wants you to figure out how to live in this God has designed you and I'm talking to you and he's he's designed me God has designed you us that he God himself and God alone might be and provide all that you need. And yeah, those things you're thinking about right now, yeah, he can provide that too. All that you need. And even more than you need in Christ. Now and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and 2017, September the 13th, 2017, September the 13th, 2025, September the 13th, 5,050. You know, it's, it never ends. God, God has so designed you that you would show up to him and need to go nowhere else because he is all you need. He can be all you need. He can provide all you need. And it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ, designed in Christ. And more. Better than you could ask or imagine. We'll see it later. Now and forevermore. Everybody got it? Everybody got it. Now we're gonna we're gonna boom, boom, boom. There's a song like that. Katy Perry. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Never mind. It's called Firecracker. Am I crazy? Y'all are just thinking you shouldn't sing that at church. And I'm thinking that too, now that I've already sung it. (laughs) Sorry about that. I think after I speak sometimes. Um, We're about to go through this passage, and I just want to highlight to you. You're going to do more work in in depth with these in small groups, right? But I I want you to see the fireworks exploding. I want you to hear the overtures of the awesome blessing that God has given us. More than we need, he's provided in Christ. So here we go. There's really three sections to this little section, and it's kind of interesting. He details to us what God has provided in Christ, but he kind of talks about it from the perspective of what the Father has done. 
what the Son, Jesus, has done and what the Holy Spirit has done and what the Father is still doing and what Jesus is still doing and what the Holy Spirit is still doing because we know that God, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in securing for us the incredible blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for us in Christ. And so we're gonna look at it from, the, from that perspective. First, we see uh, God the Father. And here we are. Uh, let's go back to verse three and we'll read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the power of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Couple of things I want you to see from this passage. You can write them all down. You can see the fireworks exploding of the praise of God and the wonder of what He's provided for us in Christ. All that we need and more. God the Father, three things that I want to point your attention to. One, He has chosen us. He's chosen us. Here it says, even as He chose us, verse 4, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He has chosen us. God wants us. He wants us. I don't know about you. um, This is incredible love and kindness and planning of God. That it says before the foundation of the world, he is looking ahead to your birth, to your life. And in his good and kind and grace-filled and loving heart, the all-knowing, all-seeing, eternal God sees you, knows you, wants you, chooses you, is moving towards you before you've ever done anything, before you are anything, before you've ever been anything. God, his heart is going out toward you. Isn't this amazing? Does anybody ever play uh, kickball in elementary school? Mm-hmm. My, the, my least favorite part of elementary school was those stupid recess games where you had teams and then you had, everybody had to line up and there were captains. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Some of you were the captains. Yeah. That stinks. I was never the captain. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody line Okay, everybody line up. Okay, he's the captain. He's the captain. The captains always appointed themselves. I always thought that was very interesting too. Okay, now we're going to take turns picking. Well, it's just horrible, especially for us non-athletic types because everybody knows that I'm not the best kickball player and you have to sit there the whole time going, oh, please pick me. Oh, I don't want to be last. And you get down to the final people and you're standing there with Liza Jane and Susie Q. 
the only boy left, and they choose Susie Q over you. <laughs> oh, it's the worst feeling. And you know that you, d- you deserve it. You know, you're going to ruin the game. <laughs> you know you're going to ruin the game for whoever chooses you. You're going to be the guy <laughs> that gets up with everybody's on the base, and you can't do anything about it. Everybody looks at you like, oh, loser. Oh, I longed in my childhood years to be chosen like that. And I rode so much on my performance. Some of us have tendencies to be very heavy in performance. It's about what we do, what we can accomplish. And we're constantly trying to prove ourselves to get people to choose us or want us because we think it's all about what we offer and what we do and who we are. The goodness of God, the love of God, before the foundation of the world, in other words, before you ever had a chance to do anything, before you ever had a chance to be anything, God loved you. And he looked at the lineup, and he wasn't judging you based on what you offered to his team. He chose you based on the fact that he loves you. God chose you, and he chose me. Don't get too bogged down and, oh, what does that mean? All this stuff about predestination and election and all this, you know. God doesn't mean it for it to be shadows for you to hide in. He means it for it to be light for you to walk in. Let it be an encouragement and a confidence and assurance to you that your relationship with God doesn't depend on what you do or who you are. It depends on his love for you in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, if you give your life to Christ, you can know he's chosen you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you and God's love for you. Amen? He's chosen you. Secondly, he's adopted you. Oh, by the way, John 15, 16, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. That's what Jesus says. Luke 19, 10, we see Jesus going after the sinner, taking the first initiative. It's just great. He chooses us. Secondly, he adopts us. He adopts us. It says here that we are chosen, chosen that we might be holy and blameless before him. He puts us in a condition, a condition that we're not apart from Christ, but when we are in Christ, we become holy and blameless before God. That is crazy. Would you agree? But awesome that we might be before God as if we had done nothing wrong, holy and blameless before him in Christ. Then it says, he, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Before he wanted us, and he has so worked that he might adopt us. Not that we would be some kind of employees of his grand corporate design. Some citizens of his grand country only, although we are workers of God and we are citizens of his kingdom, but what a personal expression of love is this, that he has worked in all eternity. Before you ever thought about moving toward him, he was thinking about and working toward moving toward you. He has not only put you in his his country, he has not only called you to be his worker, he has said to you, I want you to be my son. Not just my creation. I want to adopt you as my own son. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You think about this. He calls Jesus his son, and all of us go, oh, yes, of course, Jesus is his beloved son. Can you get into your head? Can you get into your mind? Can you embrace with your heart that God also looks at you and says, you are my beloved child? Because of, I gave my child for you, my only child. I have made room now for a, I have a big heart and I've got a room for a big old family. I got a big old house and I want you to come in and I'm gonna treat you not as some stepchild. I'm gonna treat you as my own child. You are my beloved child. Galatians 4, 5 to 7 says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons adoption as sons. Therefore, we are sons. God has sent his spirit into our hearts crying, oh, daddy, daddy, father. We are no longer slaves, but sons. If we are, we are now heirs of God. John 1, 12, but for all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. First John 3, 1, oh, see the kind of love that the father has given to us that we might be called children of God. In Christ, God has so worked that you might be adopted. Oh, I cry almost every time I see a story of adoption. (laughs) Children that are living in foster care all over our city, children that don't have parents that love them, children that are lost, that have been abandoned, that have been orphaned. When we go to these countries and see kids running around all over the streets and they have no one to take care of them, they're living in rooms the size of this, hundreds upon hundreds of kids just eating basic rice and just needing a family to call them their own. Oh, those children long to hear the day that someone will look at them and say, I want you. You're mine. Come. You have nothing. I know you're poor, pitiful, and naked, but you have me now. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to eat from my table and you're going to sleep in my beds and you're going to live in my house and you're going to be just like my own children. How sweet is that? But do you see that you are the orphan? You're the pitiful, poor, naked orphan apart from what God would do for you. And he comes to you and he says, hey, it's not anything to do with you. I've already worked it out. I've already paid the price. I've already covered it in my son, Jesus. I'm looking at you. I want to ask you, you want to be a part of my family? I love you. Come on in. Treat you as sons. Isn't that beautiful? Boom, another firework goes off. And then third, he says, he has accepted us, accepted us. In verse five, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to this purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with, which with, with which, thank you, thank you, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Many translations, I like the translations that say it better, by which he has made us accepted or with which he has blessed us. Uh, Paul literally uses a a verb of the word grace. It literally means with which he has begraced you with. That's really the only way it translates. With which he has begraced you with. In Christ, he has begraced you. He has given you his grace. He has accepted you. He has called you his own and endowed you with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's amazing. We cannot make ourselves acceptable to God. 
I don't care how long you try or how, how many religions will tell you or people will tell you, just do one more thing, just one more thing. A lot of us spend our whole life trying to do one more thing for God to accept us. Making plea bargains with God, trying to change your behavior, doing right, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to say there's, there's no purpose in holiness or in living rightly. But what I'm saying is there's nothing that you can do to make yourself accepted in God. All you can do is believe and receive what God has done on your behalf in Christ to accept you. You can be acceptable to God because of what he's done for you. Therefore, quit your efforts of trying and begin your efforts of receiving and trusting and enjoying and believing that God has given you his grace. He's endowed upon you his very grace that he might accept you, not by what you do, but by what Jesus has done in his love for you. And that forever and forever, you would be accepted by God the Father. Amen? And then all of this, it says, results in praise. Why does he do all of this? For the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, he's put you on a pedestal as his child and says, look, look and see what a great father I am because he wants others to know his great grace too. Amen? So these are the three things that God is saying to us. Look at what I've done in Christ. I've got to hurry. Secondly, we see what Jesus has done. This is so good. Oh, this is so good. All right, I've got to go back to the scripture, not the screen. Here we go. Verse seven. Continue to see. Remember our core truth? That God has designed us for what? That he might be and provide all that we need and more in Christ, now and forevermore, okay? Fireworks are still going off. Look at what Jesus has done, verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Again, packed, exploding with glorious truth of what he has done for us, that he might provide all that we need. A couple of things I wanna point out here. It says here that he has redeemed us. Verses seven and eight. In, in him, again, in Christ, We have redemption through his blood. To redeem literally means to purchase, to set free by paying a price. It literally indicates a price that is paid for freedom. Liberation that is accepted by the receipt of a ransom. I read a New York Times uh, article. I was reading the New York Times on the way to Serbia a few weeks ago for our mission trip. I love reading newspapers when I get on planes. I don't know why, but it makes me feel really cool. If I can just you know, open a big newspaper and say, oh, I'm going to another country reading the New York Times. I must be cool. Um, I fooled you. Anyway, um, 
I was reading this article about ISIS. So a funny intro to a more serious story. ISIS, they were talking about how they had set up this huge sex trade. And they were talking about this, I mean, I'm talking huge and horrible, horrible thing that's going on now in the Middle East, that ISIS is literally taking people who are non-Muslims and non-Christians and non-Jews, people who belong to these other tribal sects and tribal religions, and they are literally taking, going into villages with their guns and their weapons and all of this, dividing the men and women from the boys, I mean the older boys and men, they assassinate all of the older boys and men immediately, they take all of the older women, they take them away, they take the young girls who have uh, not, who are still virgins, and they take them in buses away to these huge camps, they put them in rooms, they all sleep together, it's horrible conditions, they get inspected up and down while they're naked, and they literally, these men of ISIS come in and they buy them and they become their sex slaves. These women, many different places and many different times had the exact same story. By the end of the article, I was absolutely in tears, literally, I was crying. Because from their own words, talking about how these men again and again and again and again and again totally abuse them, violate them, humiliate them, take every bit of dignity and every bit of self-worth from them as they abuse them as their own sex slave. Absolutely the worst thing I could ever imagine. 14-year-old girls. And yet there was this one moment of redemption in the article that I read because it talked about this movement of people who were going in and they're posing as ISIS buyers. They are pretending like they are ISIS. And they are going in and putting up huge sums of money and they are going in and they are buying these girls with their own money. But then what happens is they actually give them a certificate of freedom after they buy them and the girls are being set free by these undercover people. People who have a heart to see girls liberated from the bondage of sex slavery. And they're paying the price for them, not to abuse them, but to set them free. Thank you, Lord, for these men. I don't know who they are, but I'm so thankful. Do you realize that this is what Jesus has done for us? In him, we have redemption. We were once enslaved to sin, unable to get out, and yet he came to us. And he paid the price for us. And it wasn't just any price with money. He paid the price. The only price that could be paid needed to be paid. It was a price of blood. And he didn't give money. He didn't give part of his self. He gave his whole self. And he gave his whole self over to death. First Peter 1.18 says the price that was paid was his blood. And that blood has accomplished our redemption. Praise God. We who were in slavery are now set free. He's redeemed us by giving his own life. I watched another story yesterday on uh, ESPN. Da-da-da, da-da-da. And um, the guys got that, a few of you. But um, talking about this guy who worked on the 78th floor of the World Trade Center. And when everything was, was burning and coming down, there were people who were hurt and injured instead of getting himself out, he went back again and again. And person after person talked about this guy with a red bandana and how he had carried them down the stairs or led them to safety. And it was years later after the towers crumbled that they found his body with the red bandana. And over and over, these women were saying, I would know I would not have my life today if it weren't for him giving his life. And they were talking to his parents and saying, I'm so sorry you had to lose your son in order for me to have my life, but thank you. Hello. In him, we have redemption. That's us. We deserve to be crushed, but instead, he carries us to freedom. 
and he loses his own life for it. And God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit, all involved in redeeming us from sin. Not only that, but forgiving us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He forgives us. He forgives us. The word literally means to carry away. It's the picture of Leviticus, where they would have the day of atonement. And we all know, we all know, you know that something has to be done about your sin. You can't go into the presence of God with sin. You know you have sin and you know something needs to be done and you can't get rid of it, can you? You just can't wash your sin away. You can't get rid of your guilt and your shame and your condemnation. That's why he said, bring in the innocent bulls and goats. Let me show you what I want to do for you. Take one of them and slaughter it to pieces. Take its blood and pour it out over the holy of holies, over the altar, so that there would be access to the very presence of the holiness of God by the blood of an innocent. And then take another one and confess. Put your hands on it. Read it, Luke 18. Put your hands on it. Confess all of your sins, all of the people's sins. And then you send that goat out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. I want to show you, folks, that I am a saving, I am a redeeming, I am a forgiving God. But I've done it by the substitute of an innocent. I want to forgive your sin, cleanse you so that you might come into the holiness of God. But it's only gonna be through blood, the blood of my own son. And I want to separate your sins, as Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so that they would be remembered no more. God is a forgiver of God. He carries our sins away in Christ. And if you're in Christ today, you don't have to be guilty over false guilt. God has forgiven you and you have to accept it. Yes, you've got to repent of your sins. You are a sinner. You are unworthy. You have sinned against the holy God. But if you are in Christ, you are forgiven and you are clean. Amen? And when we go into the throne of God, we don't go in thinking, okay, God's gonna love me by my own merit. No, we go in blood-soaked in the blood of an innocent lamb. And we go in and are received by God because of what Christ has done by carrying our sins away. Amen? And then finally, it says, oh, not finally. He revealed his will to us, verses 8 through 10. Basically, I just got to hit this real quick. You're going to do more of this in your group this week. But he revealed his will to you. God had a plan to unite all things in Christ, it says in these verses. And now you know God's plan. For so many years, some of us cannot imagine. I was in Serbia a few weeks ago thinking about people who I was with and they had never heard of God. You cannot imagine most of us because we grew up in a Christian country not knowing anything about God, not knowing anything about what Jesus has done, always wanting a relationship with God but never knowing you can have it. For thousands of years, this is the reality of humankind until Christ and then the plan of God was revealed and now, oh, we get to enjoy knowing that we can have a relationship with God and knowing what he has done in Christ, knowing his grace upon grace. Never take for granted that you know Jesus. Amen? Because that is a grace from his heart. He has revealed his will to us and he has given us inheritance. In verse 11, it says, in him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We've obtained an inheritance. We have been given what somebody else accomplished, what somebody else gained. I don't know if any of you have ever obtained an inheritance. If you have, let me know, because we would really like to pay off our building. I'm just kidding, kind of. 
you can laugh. It's okay. I'm not really thirsty for that. But, but seriously, we really do. We would like to pay off our building. Only 30000 left. Somebody could do that. But if you've ever obtained an inheritance, what a grace gift. So, you know, money that wasn't yours. It didn't even, it wasn't earned by you. Things that you did not accomplish. Things that you did not do, but yet you're still given it fully because of the choice of another. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance is Jesus's. It is his. He deserves it. He accomplished it. It is his. But yet in Christ, God takes all that is Christ and he gives it to you. He writes your name on the will. And now you have everything that Christ has because he has chosen to give it to you. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Isn't that good? And then finally, we look at these final verses and see the work of the Holy Spirit. I promise we are about to be done. It says all of this, verse 12, was so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory again. All of this, boom, 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 bursting so that we might enjoy the goodness of God. And then in verse 13, he says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We see the Holy Spirit working now in giving us every spiritual blessing that we might have all that we need and all that we need to be in Christ now and forevermore. The Holy Spirit sealing us. God has sealed us. And then finally, God has made us a guarantee. He sealed us. Here we see that it's not just the sovereignty of God at work, but it says we, we have a work to do too. When you first heard and believed, if you're here today and you wonder, well, is this just available to everybody? Are you a universalist type church? Is all of this that Christ has given, uh, it just automatically goes to everybody? It's available to everybody, but it's not automatic to everybody because there is a condition. God is sovereign and he's worked all things according to his plan and by his power and in his will for his glory. But we are also responsible. And he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But to those who receive and believe on him, they will become children of God. We have to hear the gospel, but not just hear it. We have to respond to it with repentance and faith. Only people who are recipients of the inheritance are those who actually cash the check by trusting in Christ. But the Holy Spirit, the moment that we believe, here the scripture says that the Holy Spirit does something. And I don't believe this happens before we believe. I think it happens at the time that we believe. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and two things happen. It says that he seals us and then he makes a guarantee to us. He seals us. It's the picture of a finished transaction. In that day, they would take letters, they would fold up the paper and then they would seal it. They'd melt wax and they would press. Y'all have seen this in the movies. They pressed down a seal that was specific to the person who was signing that document had the face of or the insignia of that person on it. It signifies a finished transaction. It signifies that we belong to him. It signifies that what he has done will continue forever. He is guaranteeing it right there with his own seal. And it speaks of authenticity. You can't copy it. It's only something that God does and he himself alone. We are sealed and impressed upon our hearts. I pray that your hearts are soft like that wax. I pray that impressed upon your heart is the very insignia of God in his Holy Spirit. And then it says he makes a guarantee for us. This is the, this word literally means an earnest. It's the same word in that time that they used for engagement rings. The same exact word. 
hey, let me give you my earnest, my engagement ring. It's a picture that there's a promise that's been made, and that promise will come to completion. It's the picture of a down payment for a house. You're showing that you're good for the rest of it. If you put this down, you're going to be good for the rest of it. And God says, I've given you my Holy Spirit that you might have my promise of what is to come. You have a guarantee until you acquire the full possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, if you are in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, God has made, he has put his seal upon you and he has made a promise to you that you will get the full inheritance that he has accomplished in Christ. You're gonna be with him face to face and there will be nothing lacking in your life forever and forever. Why? Because he so designed you that he might be and provide all that you need and more in Christ now and for all eternity. Amen? So as we close today, Robbie's coming. This is the time that we respond. You have heard the overture. You have seen the fireworks display. They've been popping all around this goodness of God on display. And I want to know this morning, do you believe this? Do you feel this? Are you in tune with this? Do you really believe, I'm talking to you, that you're designed that God might be and provide all that you need? and more in Christ now and for all eternity. You could take that list of all those things that God has provided in Christ and bring them into the present tense because he is still the same God today as he has worked in Christ in the past. He works today for those who believe in Christ. He is presently at work, presently at work, forgiving, redeeming, He is presently at work choosing, loving. He is presently at work adopting, giving inheritance, making promises, revealing his will. He is presently at work. This God is not the God of the past. Yes, he is. And yes, he's done this in the past. But today, right now, God stands as a God who is and can provide all that you need and more in Christ now and forevermore the question is are you in Christ and if you are do you believe this are you living in this are you receiving this he's enough for you more than enough when you feel like you're not enough look at Jesus when you feel like you can't do enough look at Jesus it's not about you it's about him and his heart for you and his work on your behalf give thanks to God he is worthy He's worthy of our deep thanks and praise, providing every spiritual blessing in Christ. Maybe you could pray this prayer today. God, you are all that I need. You've graciously supplied all that I need in your son. Jesus, I receive from you what only you can give. Jesus, be in me all that I cannot be. I love you. I love you and I praise you, God.